Hello, Skeptics and Seekers family. I'm your host today, David Russell, the Christian. And yes, David Johnson is not here today. It's a little little odd. You're just going to see my face, but there's a familiar face in the crowd too. So uh, today we're going to be talking about politics. We're going to be giving the Christian response to the, to the episodes you guys heard with David and Matthew and Sarah and Andrew and, I, and Brian with a why <laughs> i think uh if i got that wrong brian you can correct me this is going to give you guys plenty to talk about on politics and i'm hoping it's the last one at least david tells me it's the last one so this is it this is the christian response and upon reflecting on this notion of current events politics and david's skeptical panel i have come to the point where i'm just tired of the whole enterprise to give a proper response to all their hot air in the skeptics panel, I have to I've comp- compromised my own panel made up of a political science major um, and communications major, uh, a lawyer, and you know who that is, and a wise minister, and possibly a Canadian if he comes in later. But <laughs> throughout the skeptics rhetoric was their case convincing at all. No, I don't think so. Was it all over the place regarding actual current events? Yeah, I think it was. When it comes to politics, one could never separate worldview from it. They can't. I I don't think you can separate your worldview and how you legislate and the ideas of right and wrong and so forth. Your worldview is the lens in which you view reality. David claims that we have lost the common ground. Is that right? Maybe. I consider those on this show to be the ones that like would like to restore the common ground. But does this make up for the rest of the culture that doesn't care and bases their logic on sheer emotion? No. What does it boil down to? Everyone has a say in pol- politics in America. That's just the truth of it. We get to vote. We get to have a say in what goes on. Everyone can in some way contribute. Was Donald Trump actually good politically? I don't know. What I do believe is he was an outpouring of years in the making, a result of a liberalism that has shifted so far to the left that it threatens the very fabric of the nation. Years of abundant socialistic policies that impede the notion of individual liberty. A notion of class systems that shouldn't exist in American thought. With that said, what is going on now? What is our current events? A stolen election? A nation divided? A dictator threatening the democracy? The issues that got us here are so much more profound than these things. We can easily rectify them. I mean, at least this whole idea of a stolen election or whatever. Why is this nation divided, though? To David, it's about the Christian and the conservative. To me, it's a lack of wisdom and a departure and a departure of thought by theist and non-theist alike. It is a lack of understanding, a lack in principle, a lack in commitment in a nation so comfortable that they bathe in the rivers of apathy. 
tribes emerge to fight for rights they don't even know where they come from. Imagination and entertainment inform public opinion, while the media only while the media only uh, report its company's biases to get ratings. Uh, truth suffocates under the foot of ignorance, and pride blinds the average soul, eclipsing the betterment had in being wrong. In conclusion, what is wrong with us today? Like Chesterton said, I am, and I'm not afraid to say it, I am part of the problem. Um, and I'm not afraid in that omission or where it takes me. I have an awesome panel today, the political science major. His name is Caleb Jackson. He is his first time on Skeptics and Seekers. Say hello, uh, Caleb. Hello, yeah, how are you all doing? I'm a political science and communications double major at Indiana University. I'm expecting to graduate in the spring, and I'm happy to be here. Awesome, awesome. Next, uh, yeah, you saw Caleb before when uh, he debated David Johnson on our show, uh, Proselytize or Apostatize. Uh, the second person I'm going to introduce is Rob Lumberg. He's a first time on Skeptics and Seekers as well, and he is the wise minister. I've known Rob for a long time, and he's an apologist as well. And Rob, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, thank you, David. Um, I've been involved in the defense of the faithful for 30 years in various capacities, uh, from open forum panel discussions to open forum uh, Q&A, also teaching and designing uh, Christian apologetics courses at a local Bible institute and seminary, one on the resurrection, one on worldviews, one on the defense of the authenticity of the Bible in an entry-level uh, course in Christian apologetics. And I, I, I'm one of these ones who basically believes that one Christianity is true because I am a former skeptic, not like much of the skepticism today. But it is a privilege for me to be able to be, uh, help David with the answers to some of the questions that we're going to be answering. And I also sent a link to the um, video that we are responding to, a conversation between my friend Corey Miller from Rascio Christi, who I used to serve with, and also Peter Bogosian, who's the author of the handbook for creating atheists. So I hope you guys look at that. And uh I want you to know that we are meaning no harm, no disrespect. We want to open up the dialogue, and I'll just leave it right there. Awesome. And finally, we have Teddy the Bear. Teddy, say hi. You're the lawyer here. Hello, everyone. How are y'all? That's all Teddy gets is a quick hi, because she's been on so much, we all know her very, very well. Actually, she's been on... PRA too. So that was really cool. We had a nice little discussion about the Shroud for you uh, Shroud fans out there. Um, so guys, you know, you guys listen to the tape and I'm surprised I could get through my opening speech here because I've have, had strep throat the last past week. So that's why you'll see me drinking a lot of water. There's no tea in the cup I'm drinking. That's why you see me switching back. It's actually throat coat tea so I can continue talking. So yeah, so it's been a rough week for me. I was swallowing glass earlier this week. So <laughs> um yeah, so that's what it felt like. So I'm surprised I could get through the speech. I only wrote it out. I didn't type it, which makes me flow a lot better. But typing it is so much better. But I'm surprised I could read my own chicken scratch there. But so when it comes to these, when it comes to these politics and stuff like this, okay, David said that we have no common ground. There's no more common ground to be found. 
what is your guys' first thoughts on that? And guys, you know, this is all of our show. So if you guys got stuff you want to add in, feel free. This is going to be a free-flowing conversation. Don't all go at once, please. <laughs> Ladies first. Oh, in terms of um, whether we all have common ground, I, I think that there is a dividing line, uh, quite frankly, politically. I, I think that with the Democrat, the Democratic Party leadership, I think there is a dividing line. I think that they are in it for the power and for self-enrichment and uh and i don't think they really care uh, about the people they use the people they exploit their base in order for them to get into power so that once they get into government they then have access to a lot of connections a lot of information that helps enrich them and we have seen that um, with a lot of the um, the Democratic Party leadership. Uh, with the base itself, the Democratic Party base, I do think that Republicans have common ground with them. And the common ground is that we care about people. And uh, we care about our own well-being. We want our, our families and ourselves to thrive in this country, but we also want the whole country and its populace to thrive as well. But what is problematic and what creates this um, massive uh, tension between uh, Republicans, especially conservative Republicans and um, the Democratic Party base is how you accomplish that well-being. And uh, and I believe that the, the Democratic base has fallen hook, line and sinker for uh, for all of the stuff, all of the garbage that is churned out by their leadership. And they, they it, it's 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 kind of like the the old saying that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. They they make it sound like socialistic type policies and redistribution of wealth are a great idea. And naturally, that can sound really good to somebody that doesn't have much money and, and that's struggling. But what they don't realize, they don't like in a chess game, they don't look a couple of moves ahead to see how all that works when people don't get rewarded with money or whatever for their efforts, for their work, they stop working. And then, you know what? You have equality of misery, like what you see in Cuba and the old Soviet Union. And, you know, it, and, and it's always the leadership that pushes for that particular type of change they always somehow end up on top. So the Nancy Pelosi's of the world will always, and the Joe Biden's of the world and their family, they will always still have money, just like the elite in the Soviet Union. And even now, they all still, you know, have their money, too, while everybody else suffers. So I think that's uh, that's where the big division is, but, but not between just the Democratic Party base, 
and the Republican base. And I think that, that there is that commonality. It's just we disagree on how to on what the appropriate way is to to get to everybody prospering. All right. Well, hey guys, we just had Dale Glover join us. Hey Dale, what's going on, man? Hey David, how's it going? Good, good. Hey Dale. I'm just gonna ask every I'm just gonna ask everybody to mute their mics why someone's given a any like long uh uh speech but uh who wants who wants the next shot i mean where uh, where's the common ground between uh do we have common ground still between conservatives and uh uh david's crowd you know do we have any merit can, can we say anything useful I think uh, caleb why don't you give it a shot you're the political science major yeah go for it okay R rob do you want to go no, go for it. No, you're the okay. you're the poli side guy. Go for it. No, I'll <laughs> you're good. I'm not an I'm not an expert. Uh, but yeah, I think, and this is going to be different per person. But because I am more on the libertarian side, I think there is more middle ground in that area. Because I would probably agree with uh, David Johnson on a lot of issues. Uh, definitely not everything, but I think that that the idea between conservatives and liberals both want individual liberty. I think they just perceive it in different ways. Uh, for liberals that are sorry for Democrats, because I think liberal classic liberals are more libertarian. So I don't like using that word. So I'll say progressives or Democrats view uh, individual liberty as uh, more social in your life, who you can marry, what you can do with your body, um, stuff like that. And I think that Republicans tend to view it more when it comes to uh, freedom from government and freedom from uh, freedom from uh, the economic economic regulation. Right. So the ability to own your business and operate that as you uh, see fit. So I think there is a lot of common ground and there's just different ways to differentiate it. But I think that we do have common uh, problems that we agree are problems. I think we just have different solutions as, as far as how to solve that. And I like what Teddy was saying earlier with the control and um, socialism and stuff like that, because I, I do think it's interesting that I think the main problem that I see with uh, radical progressivism is that it takes away the idea of self-reliance because uh, you know, there's the, the classic uh, phrase of if you give a man to, a fish, he'll eat for a day. If you teach not a fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. I think when you have program, and I'm not against helping people, obviously, but I think when you have programs that you give people like health care or education, whenever there are threats to cut those programs, they almost use it like it's a gun to the head. Like, oh, if you do so and so, all these people are going to die and are going to be uh, like that. Then you ask, well, why are they like that in the first place? It's because you put them in a situation. So I think that government tries to solve the problems that it makes in itself. You know, we have a student loan crisis, which is a problem. Who's the one who gave the loans out in the first place? Uh, I think every pro we have a drug epidemic, but who's the one who was doing all the regulation, the war on drugs in the first place? So I think every problem that government tries to solve is a problem that it itself created. So I think that getting it out of the not completely getting rid of the government, but getting it out of many areas is is a uh, a way to solve it, and that's just uh, I think a, a big issue. And I, I also would challenge. Uh, I think with the economic issues, I would challenge anyone to find a corporation that has not benefited, that has not gained advantage from government intervention or regulation. I can't think of a single major international monopoly that's gotten successful without any kind of government uh, benefit as far as intellectual property or regulation and so forth. I think the only reason companies get overblown is because of bailouts and stuff like that. You know, you hear the phrase too big to fail, and yet the reason they were too big to fail is because they keep getting bailouts and keep getting rewarded for bad behavior. So uh, I, I do think we have a common uh, problems, but I think that our issues are where it comes to who's causing the problems in the first place. And I would argue that 
government tries to solve the problems it makes, which is like breaking someone's legs and then giving them crutches and saying that's solving the problem. So that's just how I would uh, put that. Well, I don't think I could say it any better than what Teddy uh, and Caleb have actually summarized. But I'm hearing certain things. I'm hearing a key word that is uh, that is resonating. And it was one that I heard while watching the video uh, that we are responding to. And that's a word worldview. You know, if you have a faulty worldview, if you have faulty uh, answers to origin, meaning, morality, destiny, and being, uh, you're going to have a trickle-down effect in politics. Because if you have a faulty worldview, speaking from a theological perspective, a faulty worldview begets a faulty theology. A faulty theology then deals with faulty ethics and morals, and then faulty Ethics and morals breaks down to faulty politics. And I'm, when I mention politics, I'm talking about both sides of the aisle. You know, there are certain things I think every one of us here on our panel today would agree with uh, the conservative side. But there may be some differing areas where we might um, not totally agree on. But one thing we do believe is that each human being is created in the image and likeness of God, the God that we are uh, responding to, the folks that you guys don't believe in. But but if you have a faulty politic, if you have faulty uh, theology, you have faulty ethics, morals, and values. And if you have faulty ethics, morals, and values, then you have faulty politics. And if you have faulty politics, then you get faulty laws. And this is what Teddy and, and, and Caleb were summarizing, because bad law begets bad, uh, comes from bad politics. Bad politics comes from bad theology. Bad theology comes from bad ethics and morals. Bad ethics and morals falls back on a, 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 a faulty worldview. So the question then is, where is meaning and purpose found? And where meaning and purpose is found in 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 a personal relationship with um, the God who we believe exists. So I think with everything that we've summarized, I mean, I could go all the way back to you know I'm 60 years old. I can go back to when welfare was created, and that was a, that was along the lines of what Caleb had summarized. You know, where you create a government dependency. Well, what is that based off of? It's based on a faulty worldview where you go and you take the responsibility away from somebody to go and be able to catch a fish so that they'd be able to eat for life. So all that said, um, I'll leave it there, I guess. All right, Rob. Thank you for your input. Dale, do you got anything on this one, bud? Um, so, so yeah, the original question is just, can is there any middle ground, I guess, between... Yeah, or is it gone, basically? I mean, that's what David thinks. He thinks it's totally gone. Yeah, I, I just fundamentally disagree with... It could be gone with people like David Jay. Like, I don't think I'd be able to reach middle ground with someone like him because he's very entrenched. But for sure, I know people that you can discuss with them and there there's re you can use reason to reason with them. They're made in the image of God as, as Rob was saying and that sort of thing. So yeah. Um, short answer is yes. I, I do think that there is some middle ground that we can find. Yeah, I agree as well. I, I think there is, you know, it's not like we haven't faced such division before. 
<clears throat> one thing they said in the panel about, uh, you know, this nation's always, you know, they're never united. Well, I mean, that's not the point in a way. Uniting the colonies <laughs> wasn't the same as uniting in ideas. They, 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 they argued about a lot of this stuff. You know, they argued about things, but there, there is a common theme that you see throughout the framers that did pop up. And this is this idea of consent of the governed, individual liberty. And, uh, um, yeah, I mean, those are the two, and religious freedom. You know, I mean, these the, the three things pop up a lot. And there were always ideas of, of how to go about it. And I do want to get into history, but not quite yet. Um, <clears throat> When, when a person gets on and says they can't engage with a person of faith, you know, once, you know, we can never have any common ground because you're a person of faith. You guys remember that part in the video, right? I want to hear your thoughts on that. There's no bridge, you know, for faith versus empiricism. What do you guys think about that? I'd like Rob? to jump in on that. Yeah, I'd like to jump right in on that one because I've been to a couple reason rallies up in D.C., and they find that a lot of Christians that atheists talk to, you know, they want to start. We want. And of course, um, I, I don't. And of course, we had our we had our uh, panel discussion on where your starting points are. Uh, that's where I go. Cumulative case, David, on something like that, because you want to start with where they are. And of course, a lot of times what happens with atheism is they don't know really the definition of faith. They believe that faith is something that uh, you can't see and you're believing something that can't see, or faith is believing something uh, that has no evidence to it. Or as Peter Bogosian would say in his handbook for creating atheists, uh, faith is believing in something that isn't true, which then he's committing the appeal to authority, saying that his street epistemology is is the true approach so the question is where does epistemology begin and then um you know how do you know what you know well of course you know we can go and say we start with the senses and this is where i go classical on the fact that it starts with the senses the five senses you start moving forward with that and then something inside of us pushes us beyond to go investigate outside of the senses so the definition of faith is not just blind it's not blind at all faith i go back to the the bumper sticker that we see particularly around the quantico area here where you and i david live and we see semper fide and that's off of the off of that's the code for the marines and it means always trustworthy so the question then is what is faith faith is trust uh, so then when you start looking at it from faith versus empiricism or anti-theism, because the empirical approach, I was talking to a, a, a guy with his son. He was from Clarksville. He had a banner that they were carrying at the, at the Reason Rally, the last one we went to in 2016. It was Clarksville Atheist. I walked up to him. I said, boy, you guys are far from home. So we are. I said, welcome to Washington, D.C. Why are you an atheist? He said, because I don't see any evidence for God. I said, well, would there be any evidence for uh, you believing if we gave you evidence? If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? No. So it, the conversation went forward 
And I asked him if he was married, of course. And I said, do you believe your wife is beautiful? Yes. I said, can you test that scientifically for me? He says, I can't. There's, five, there's about five things that William Lane Craig brings in that, 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 you, that cannot be tested scientifically. And I brought those things up to him. And I, but it came down to this. I said, you know, if we see that tree over there, and you asked me where that tree came from, and I told you God put it there, you'd accuse me of committing the God of the gaps fallacy. But everything that this gentleman had told me along the lines expressed to me that he had faith in science. And when I brought that up to him, he says, I don't have faith. I says, I'm sorry, I didn't know you believed that. But it seems like what you are going and telling me is that science is not telling us something even now. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about empiricism. You're telling me that you have faith in science. What you're doing, sir, is committing science of the gaps. And he says, we're done. But basically, I, what I wanted to do as gently as possible was create, the, create uh, an environment of dignity and respect for the gentleman who had his 10-year-old son with him to show his son that the emperor had no clothes. And... There is a difference between faith and science, but I will say this. Their faith and science are not enemies. Science doesn't say anything. Scientists do. And their worldview is wrapped in on that premise. Just like politics. <laughs> Just like politics. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Teddy, what do you got on that? I, I saw you click off your mute button. I, I, I guess you want to go next. I, I've... <laughs> Well, I, I just clicked it off, but uh, I will go next if you want. Um, I uh, the whole issue of faith in science. I I find it fascinating that so many people have this um, faulty notion about what it is the knowledge that we get from science, and I think in, in, that it's like fact. And I think that's incorrect. I mean, it, 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 it gives us probabilities as to whether something is fact, but there is a tremendous amount of faith. Um, well, it, it depends sometimes more than others uh, in terms of amount. But for example, with science, when we base our decision-making in life on science, we say, oh, well, I shouldn't eat uh, too many eggs because it will raise my cholesterol levels. But then science says, you know, a year later, oh, no, it's okay to eat eggs. It, it won't harm your cholesterol levels. And then it changes again. And so science is based on studies. It's based on clinical trials. It is all about probabilities. And I think we, you know, Christians need to sometimes pull back that curtain and see the Wizard of Oz science for, you know, it's just, it's a scientist doing a little study and then we extrapolate all of this information from certain studies and we call it science. And, and don't we have to have faith that the study was done with integrity? Don't we have to have faith that the people that were involved in the study gave full disclosure? 
uh, in terms of whether they had certain conditions or not. There's a tremendous amount of faith that goes into believing what science tells us with drugs, for example, like, like pharmaceuticals. Uh, in terms of science, we know that the value that we derive from science is repeating the experiment and seeing that we get the same results. And the more that we can repeat the experiment and get the same results, that increases our confidence level. Yet, for example, with, with medicine is a perfect uh, situation where we can see that sometimes there might be side effects that happen with you know, one in a thousand people, one in a million people. Well, so what that means is that you can repeat the experiment a thousand or a million times and it keeps giving you the same result. And then there's that outlier and you never know when it's going to pop up. So, um, you know, I, I just like to sometimes bring people to a little bit more reality that we use faith all the time. I mean, when I step outside, I am uh, having faith that I'm not going to be shot by a stray bullet. Um, when I get into my car, I have faith that I'm hopefully not going to get into a car accident and, and die. Um, and so uh, one of the things that really uh, makes me crazy when uh, atheists, and leftists talk, and I think that they tend to be, maybe not 100%, I don't know that I've ever come across a conservative atheist. I think that there is a reason why most atheists are leftists, because they have the same type of um, process of analyzing things, and it's a very faulty process, and that's how they, um, get a lot of a lot of their beliefs they don't think things all the way through uh and so um i i just i i for example they always when somebody disagrees with them or when they disagree with someone else they always want to hold the other person to you need to give me evidence like a hundred percent or at least you know 99.9 .9. Yet, if you pay attention and listen to the arguments that they make, they'll give all these flim-flam arguments. They are always the big fallacy police with other people, yet I routinely catch them engaged in fallacies when they argue. And so it is this constant shift. And back to the whole thing about engaging with atheists and leftists, because again, I, I tend to, in general, lump them in the same category because they operate in the same way. And, um, and that is that there is a, um, I hate to say it, but I'm gonna, because it's true. There is oftentimes a lack of integrity in terms of how they argue. They um, are frequently, there, there's frequently not good faith that goes on. And they frequently tr make arguments that they know, or at least I should hope, well, they're, they're, they're usually very sharp 
and very uh, intelligent. And so they have to know, given that they're quick on pointing out fallacious reasoning when everybody else is doing it. So when they engage it, how it engage in it, how do we not assume that they know precisely what they are doing? And when they make statements, for example, Andrew on the show was talking about how the Supreme Court of the United States is now, you know, going to let churches, you know, kill off some of their most vulnerable uh, people, the elderly. Well, first of all, you know, if you're elderly and you, you know, you're at a greater risk of getting COVID-19, maybe don't go to church. Or if you do go to church, you're assuming the risk. But they, of course, never apply that to all of the rioting that was going on in the streets with Black Lives Matter. Oh, coronavirus doesn't spread when all of these people are out in the streets. It's always the double standard. And the double standard is disingenuous. And one of the things that really, really anger me that skeptics, well, it's, it's not skeptics. I'm a skeptic too. I, I like to question things. I like, you know, good arguments and good arguments based on as much, you know, fact as we can have. But, um, you know, there's a, a crude expression um, that unfortunately is the perfect expression uh, for what they love to try and do to conservatives, especially. Uh, and that is the expression of um, where somebody says, don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. And they try to do that all of the time they try to tell it like like they're trying to gaslight us thinking that we're somehow so stupid is to believe that but one of the things that the left is so good at is because most of the time they're not grounded and, and no there are leftists that are christians or that profess to be um, but they don't seem to um, find that their hands getting tied in terms of how they fight the way actual devout Christians do. So they will engage in dishonest and violent maneuvers in order to try to oppress and suppress opposition and they will do all sorts of crooked things in order to gain because again power is their god that is their ultimate god and um and they and so many uh leftists who are christians they put their party their party is and and being in lockstep with it that is their most important religion and i believe i have a theory and i'm pretty sure it's right that a lot of these um people that are leftists who were christians i believe that as the democratic party started to get more radicalized over the past you know especially the past 10 to 20 years, that's, look at so many, David Russell, the, the atheists that we deal with, so many of them were heavy duty Christians before, and we know that they're leftists, and then they ended up leaving their faith. And I think it is because so much of their leftist politics clash 
with Christianity. And so then they're thinking, well, which am I going to do? And of course, leftist politics demands that people be in lockstep, whereas with the Republican Party, we're all, you know, we're independent type people. We don't fall into lockstep with anybody. We, we try to figure out what is right and then we do it. And if we, and we frequently disagree amongst ourselves with the leftists, they'll just, you know, get right in line. And oh, yeah, um, they, they, they do that a lot. And oh, yeah. I, I want to get on to, to oh. I want to, I want to move on to uh, Caleb's response. I see him writing down a lot of stuff there. So uh, I want to, I want to hear what Caleb has to say on this. And then we're going to try to, I'm going to try to cover some other things kind of quickly so we can get into the historical uh, role of government and, and, why we are at where we are today type stuff. So, uh, Caleb, what's your response on this one? Uh, the faith and empiricism. Yeah. yeah, I like to uh, write down a lot of this stuff. So I have a couple notes. Um, first, I would like to say that I don't, I would probably disagree with Teddy a little bit on the lumping together of uh, liberals and atheists. Because, I mean, there are, for example, Robert Price, who's an atheist New Testament scholar, is a Republican, there are also libertarian atheists like uh, Michael Shermer and Penn Jillette, and there are uh, even atheists and secular pro-life groups. So I don't. I know it is. It is true that a majority tend to lead that way, but I don't I try to lump all of them. Because I, mm-hmm. I do see a difference between liberals and leftists. Yes. Yeah. I would. I would agree with that uh, to a certain extent. Um, but I, I. I think it is partially a worldview issue, and I. I think um, if you know the friendly atheist Hemant Mant, Hemant Mant Meta, if that's how you say his name, I think it is. He had a whole video about how he said atheists can't be Republicans, and he got a, quite about quite a lot of backlash. And every other comment was, "I'm an atheist and a Republican, so your comment's invalid." But so I, I don't try to assume that people are in a certain camp. But it is true the majority do lean a certain way. Um, when it comes to faith and science, I also don't think that there is initially a contradiction. Um, I think there are certain I think certain uh, tenets of faith might have contradictions. Uh, you know, if we're going to talk the age of the earth or certain very specific, but nothing major in the Christian doctrine has to be uh, in contradiction with mainline science. And I do think that there is, although I, I do like science, and I think the idea of peer review is important because it's not just one person making a claim, right? It's important to test out their, repeat the experiment, see if you get the same result and report that. And the idea that science changes doesn't really bother me because I think it's good to correct mistakes. And so I would rather have something that can correct itself than something that just never refuses to change. So I think those are important. I would like to build up science in that case. But I also don't think scientism is a good worldview. The idea that everything has to be scientific, I think that's actually self-refuting. Because if every statement can only be true if it's backed up by science, that statement itself cannot be backed up by science. It's a philosophical assumption. So I don't think you can put science over philosophy, and I think you have to merge the two together. So um, I'm definitely not a uh, science has to solve everything. I think science is nice. And uh, I mean, even if you look at uh, American doctors, for example, 55% believe they've seen a miracle, uh, and 75% believe that miracles can happen. So it's not as if there's this whole dichotomy between the two. Uh, I, I think that that's perfectly reasonable. Um, in fact, the, uh, oh, what was it? One of the, uh, I forget her name, but she was like a major president of a bunch of health organizations. She did a whole study on the miracles of the Catholic Church um, that their saints would have to perform, or they'd have to perform in order to become uh, accepted to be a saint or whatever the initi- initiation process is. And she talks about how the Catholic Church fully embraces 
science that they actually don't just, you know, do it on faith. They have doctors that have to be there to confirm the disease. They have to name the doctors, say what the patient has, say that it can't be cured, report that it was cured, all this very technical process. Same with exorcisms. They have to recommend they go see a mental health professional, then a doctor. So it's not as if they just all like, oh, it's God and it's not, you know. I think you have to be careful with that and, and reasonably skeptical. But I also appreciate that both of them can use science and faith correspondingly. Um, and I guess a last thing I would say is that I also, I wouldn't say that leftists, Christian leftists are putting party over Christianity. I mean, that might be true to an extent, but I also never try to assume I can read people's minds and tell if they're lying or if they're being inconsistent. So I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. I think Joe Biden is a devout Catholic. I don't think he's a secret conniving seculars who just wants to undermine all of all the evangelicalism. So uh, I, I do disagree with a lot of his policies, but I can, I can appreciate some principles of helping immigrants and helping the poor and having at least that heart. I would disagree with how they go about doing that. Um, I don't think we have to do it through force and violence of taxation. I would rather people do it of their own free will. But I can at least appreciate that they're talking about that conversation and that they you know, care about the environment, for example. I think we should be good stewards of the environment as Christians and God's creation. So um, I, I would just end by saying I don't really see any inconsistency. And I think people point out inconsistencies just to further divide and to get people out to vote. But I think if you look down, we all have a lot more in common than most people would be willing to admit. Caleb, can, can I get in? Hold, just... hold on one sec. I, I want to I get Dale's response first uh, oh, before we before we, we move on there. Dale, do you, do you got anything on this one? Um, I, I think the three participants really covered all the bases in terms of, you know, the, the issue of scientism and, and faith uh, being employed in various worldviews. Atheists employ faith. Um, science would be impossible without it um, as well. It, it depends how you define, I guess, the word faith. We're, we're using it in the same way. It's sort of like a trust. You, you can allocate your trust um, in something, in the evidence or something like that. And that's the way we're using it. Whereas they have something else in mind. Um, I also agree that we do need this principle of charity when we're trying to understand the other side. And, you know, that sort of relates to what Teddy was seeing when she's very angry because she sees this inconsistency and, and hypocrisy in politics and to be honest it does happen on both sides and that sort of thing so I, I think I would agree with Caleb that we need this principle of charity and that will help you know don't don't just try to score cheap political points by having one standard for your side and then another standard for the other um, try to try to be consistent across the board so yeah that's that's my take yeah, yeah, I, I get that too. Um, one of the things that I want to say is, is you know, when, when David was given the speech, he was trying to to say that we have such an, you know, epistemological differences that there's no way now in these days we could come together. And I just want to to comment now that I mean I put together a diversity of people. I mean Dale's from Canada. Um, you know, Caleb uh, is my a libertarian. Age, so. <laughs> uh, Caleb's from uh, are a political science major and a libertarian. I'm a constitutional conservative. Teddy's a conservative, and Rob's a, a conservative, uh, conservative libertarian, from what I understood uh, what he said. Um, yeah, Teddy, you're muted, so it's you're not really getting through. I was saying, and I'm a constitutional conservative too. 
Yeah, uh, you know, so uh, we have a, a a wide spectrum here, and we're going to disagree at times. That's why one of the things that I wanted to put this panel together that we would disagree on on some things. Actually, you know, because I am an originalist. So. I believe, yeah, you said originalist. Yeah, uh, okay, so um, we're going to disagree on things, but what I want to show is that there can be unity and diversity, and I think that's the whole idea of the American family that we could have unity and diversity, um, especially of thought, you know, and we can, you know, just because I have faith and you don't, doesn't mean we can't talk about common issues that we're going to face. This common ground hasn't left. It's only left because you've turned your back. You said you can't take it anymore, David. You, you said that you could, you just, you know, you're done. You can't have the conversation anymore. So you just turn your back, basically. So that's never going to get anything accomplished. And, you know, there's there's a huge difference in the way things were back then to the way things are now. I go in a coffee shop and not talk to anybody, no social interaction, right, except for the barista that's making my drink. But a coffee bar back in uh, the 1700s was filled with philosophical, theological, and all sorts of current event debates. They forced each other to talk. They talked about how to govern. What's, how do we better ourselves? We've lost that in this society. We've lost that in this day and age. We're so comfortable. We're so comfortable that we become apathetic. You know, there's a pockets of groups that want to come out and, and start riots and stuff like that. But how many of us just sat and watched that from our TV? You know? We are so comfortable. If it's not messing with us, not bothering. It, it, it's it's just just entertainment. Everything's entertainment. You know, we do have issues here. Uh, I think these are issues. I think these are the big issues uh, uh, that that underline all this. David said that uh, the other is not just wrong. I hope you guys remember because I'm just giving kind of quotes because there's no way I can, you know, stop segment a two hour and 40 minute video um, to play clips for everybody. He said something along the lines as, you know, we can't have the conversation because the other is not just wrong, but now they're the enemy. Um, the funny thing was, is, is the way these guys were talking. It seems that. That's how they view us in a lot of ways, you know. Um, we're the ones that are getting called names and stuff like that. I mean, if I disagree with, with somebody on, on a matter of racial issues, I get called a bigot, you know, um, or racist, you know. It, it's a go-to these days. So um, what do you guys think about this? The, the, I call this section – and let's just give a quick – uh, a quick one here. Let's let's try not to uh, go too long on it because I do want to get to the historical stuff. But the whole idea that you know when you're wrong, you're not just wrong, but you're an enemy, and basically the toler the intolerance of the tolerant is what I'm calling this. Anybody got any thoughts on that? Let's go in reverse order. Dale, do you got any thoughts on this? Oh goodness. Um, so so yeah, I guess he he was sort of quoting me uh in that i do use biblical terminologies I, I think that i do see the world 
binary, right? You're either on Christ's side or on Satan's side. Satan's the ruler of the world and that sort of stuff. So I, I use biblical language like this, uh, and then they misinterpret that. that oh, you know, you're almost saying you're not a human being or something like, oh, where'd he go? Uh, can you guys still hear me or? Yeah, okay. Um, so, so yeah. Um, so I don't think that we should see uh, people who disagree with us as enemies in the sense that, you know, those skeptics were going on about. That's not the way I see even David Jay. I, I mean, we've had plenty of private conversations and he said some things that I find atrocious. Uh, you guys, you guys would be shocked uh, or maybe not at, at some of the things that he says and believes. It, it's literally crazy. Um, but I still see him as a, a friend who's just very wrong and, and need, you know, I do my best to try and correct him. And by the way, I, I've been wrong on some things and he's done his bit to help correct me on stuff. So I don't see the, the need to, just because we disagree politically or religiously, that we need to be enemies, quote unquote enemies, in the sense that they mean it. But I have no shame in repeating the Bible that, yeah, you, you are an enemy of God if you're not in his flock. That's there's Bible verses that say that, so I can't deny what the Bible says. So, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe it's just on us to clarify what we mean when we use that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, um, I, 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 yeah, I mean, to go without saying is like, I, you know, just because there's this political divide out into the streets and into the cities and so forth, yeah, it doesn't mean that that us in here are really having that that opinion because i really like david too and i really have a heart for him you know he's a good guy you know i get my kidney for him like he says you know so i mean we're cool on that aspect and i get that but i mean don't you guys think that there's like there is a a common issue out in the public arena where if you don't agree with a certain status quo now you're the enemy that, you know, Antifa is going to show up to your protest and start throwing uh, M80s at you. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I don't see our side doing that. I don't see our side uh, showing up to protest and becoming violent. And maybe they think it's because of the social issues have gotten to the point where they're fighting injustice. But to me, it's like, OK, but where does justice even come from? We, we're not even going to talk about that you think you have these rights but where do these rights even come from i mean there's no reference they have no reference for them and yeah. i think this goes a long way to show that we have lost the ability to really think things through and that we are plagued with a society that bases its logic on emotion um but yeah uh caleb uh what do you got to say on that one Yeah, so I liked what um, the other, you all were saying about um, our battle. You know, I think there's the verse in uh, the Bible, it's like, our battle's not with flesh and blood, but with the powers of this world, which is referring to uh, the demonic and Satan and so forth. So I would agree that I think everyone is made in God's image and that we're all brothers. Uh, even not even if we're not all brothers in Christ, but unbelievers, we still have that shared humanity, I think, that we all uh, embrace. Uh, I also think that because there's this hostility and this divide is why nothing, you know, statistically Congress has been the least productive recently than it's ever been in American history. And I think a lot of that is because of what I kind of call this like sports 
mentality of, I think we treat politics like it's a sports game of my team has to win and beat yours out and get the majority and all that. When the goal should be, let's get good stuff passed, but it's not even compromise anymore. It's that side's not going to help. So we have to get a majority so that we can do whatever we want. And they, they're just going to protest it. So I think everyone either votes against the side or votes for a side, but there's hardly ever any bipartisanship. It, it doesn't feel like, and I think that's why uh, that's such an issue is I would like to see a lot of bipartisanship and a lot of negotiating, a lot of common ground, because we'd get a lot more done. But just treating it like it's a competition, I think it's a terrible way to, to do it. And it just makes why politics is so nasty, I think. It's just so um, divisive and negative. Uh, and I think there are admittedly people on both sides who I think are extremes, and we both agree. Um, my church recently did a study called Separation of Church and Hate, which I thought was a clever uh, pun. But I think there are people on both sides who are extremes and who are minorities, but are also very loud. You could just look on, you know, on the right, there are pastors who are like, oh, we should execute uh, homosexuals. They don't use that term. It's a, they use a more perverse term. And uh, like West Bower Baptist Church and all those people where I think are just so hateful. And you have people on the left as well who are, uh, you know, like, oh, we should kill cops and their pigs and all that stuff. So I think both sides have the negative, and the negative is a very, very small minority, but they're also just very vocal and very loud because they get all the media attention. And I think it, sh- it should be the job of the moderates on, on the side to stand up and say, hey, no, we're going to condemn that. That's not okay to say that. And we're going to tell you from within our own camp that that's not okay. I think both sides should take accountability for that. Um, just as a last point, I liked what uh, David said about Russell, David Russell, not David Johnson, uh, about justice uh, and the fact that I think this idea of human rights is a theistically based view. I mean, they'll call themselves humanists, but I also think that that's just, committing the, uh, you know, a bias of speciesism because you're a human, you happen to be biased towards humans, but if you were an animal, you clearly wouldn't. Uh, and there's always the thought of experiment of, you know, what if aliens came down and, and they were so much more intelligent than us and they wanted to use our skin as clothes and wanted to eat us for food, would that be moral or immoral? You know, if, if they're that much more intelligent, is that, and we do that with animals, so does that justify them doing it with us if we're animals compared to them? So I, I don't think you could, if it's just going to be whatever species is the most intelligent and there's no objective value to it, then I don't, I don't think you can make a basis off of that. Uh, even Bertrand Russell, who was quoted as saying, I think that the universe is built on the pillars of despair because there is no meaning in life and no meaning to human morality. Even he was against nuclear war and he admitted the inconsistency because if you don't believe humans have value and the world's going to end anyway and we'll go extinct, what difference does it make if we wipe ourselves out nu- with nuclear things? And he, he basically admitted that I don't have an answer to that. I admit it's inconsistent. I just can't live my life that way. I think ultimately everyone, uh, whether they acknowledge it or not, does not live like life as if it were meaningless. They might invent meaning, but uh, if you're going to pretend that there's meaning and invent that, then why is that any different than pretending there's a God inventing that for comfort, right? So I think you either have to admit there's objective meaning or you have to admit that it's subjective and invented. But if it's subjective and invented, then that's really not much different than positing that there's a God that you invent to make coverage. So I don't think it's consistent on that part. Amen. All right. Uh, <laughs> Rob. I'm just going to springboard on two points. Uh, thank you, Caleb, for what you shared, because I was just shouting inside. You know, um, somebody mentioned about, you know, how this culture is emotionally charged. I did a show with uh, Tony Garulli uh, a few couple of years ago. We talked about this whole thing about how our culture, um, and I think it's stemming from the university. 
because the university uh, professor has about 30 years influence on each student that they touch. And of course, what's coming out right now, we're getting the worldview of cultural Marxism and all kinds of liberal ideologies and liberal things that are happening. But our, our, those that are on the left, those that do not hold to biblical values, I, I consider them as listening with their eyes and thinking with their feelings. And um, it, is, it is very sobering to think where our culture is going. And, um, you know, you talk about this justice thing. You know, you look at some of these movements like BLM and all, and I, I have actually had some conversations with people who are black Americans, African Americans, black, call them what you may. They're darker. They have a darker hue of skin color than I do. And first thing I tell them, number one, I am not Westboro Baptist Church. Number two, I believe that you and I have souls. Of course, an atheist might wrestle with that. Uh, thirdly, I believe that you are created in the image and likeness of the God you believe or don't believe in. And my question to you about BLM, I do believe black lives matter. I do not agree with the movement. Why? Because of this whole thing on justice. They're looking for justice. They're looking for justice that everyone here on this panel is supposed to be guilty of because we're white uh, males for the majority of us. And of course, uh, Ms. D'Angelo was talking about white fragility and she wrote a book on it because of that. We are uh, where we are in, in all of this. But justice where does justice really come from? And if you are a skeptic and you want justice, say, for somebody who has been shot by a police officer or somebody else in a drive-by shooting, and that justice comes, are you really satisfied with the justice that's been doled out? I believe the answer to that would be no. I've, I've had the argument for justice. And, of course, C.S. Lewis, that's what C.S. Lewis wrestled with the whole idea. If there's not absolute justice, there is no God. But there has to be absolute justice. Therefore, there is a God. But All right, Teddy, you got anything on this one? Uh, yes. In terms of um, you were talking about each particular political group, you know, whether we are enemies or not. And um, I think many, many of us, you know, we have friends that cross these political lines. Uh, but then there's the issue that we are starting to come closer and come closer to. And that is at what point do you have to break off friendships and friendly ties with people who seek to impinge upon your liberty and the liberty of others. So with these, with 
with these leftists where they say, oh, they can't deal with us. We're not trying to impinge upon their liberty. We want we're we're liberty loving. And, and what we love the most is preserving the right of the individual, not the collective. Because when you are talking always about the collective, a lot of times the individual ends up just disappearing. And so we believe in everybody's right to have that individual liberty. And we believe that it's from God. But so at what point, because, you know, the leftists like to say, oh, if you support uh, one person, oh, you must be a racist or this or that. Well, so at what point as conservatives, as we have friends who uh, might be getting more and more radical and, and I don't know that they will ever come to this point, but just to to make a point, to highlight a, a concept. Is it okay if we are friends with, uh, with somebody that is a member of the KKK? Is it okay if we are friends with, you know, if, if, if Hitler were still alive, if we were friends with Hitler? Like, oh, I, I disagree with, you know, what he wants to do to the Jews and everybody else that he doesn't think is, you know, uh, his ideal of the human race. Um, you know, so I disagree with him politically, but hey, I can still be buddies with him. You know, so given the extreme, like a, what Hitler and Stalin and Pol Pot were doing, obviously infringing upon a lot of people's personal liberty. You can't be friends with people like that. You, you have to absolutely not only condemn them, there is the moral obligation to fight them. They are the enemies of liberty. And when somebody um, rises to the level of becoming an enemy of liberty, and, and honestly, our leftist friends are that because that is what they support. And we are seeing in America, this is America. I mean, we've gone through the looking glass. I don't recognize what is going on in America. And I'm old enough to know what it used to be like. And this is just its bizarro world, what is happening. And so these leftist friends of ours do have culpability for bringing, helping to bring that about. Now, I'm not saying that quite yet it's to the point where we have to, you know, be enemies with them even on a personal level. I, I wouldn't say that we're at that point yet, but I, I fear, and, and I, I don't delight in saying that because I have a lot of friends who are, quite frankly, leftists, not just liberals. And, and back in the day, like in the 80s and in the 90s, when the Democratic Party had more liberals as opposed to leftists, we had a lot more of a common ground. I mean, for example, the ACLU, you know, they were the ones that brought the Supreme Court, the case to the Supreme Court to permit the KKK to march in Skokie, Illinois, in a, a predominantly Jewish neighborhood full of Holocaust victims. The ACLU was 
was standing up for the K, as much as they obviously detested the KKK and their message, they were enough of um, believers and fighters for our First Amendment freedom of expression and freedom of speech and, and, and freedom to organize with people to still fight for that sort of speech as reprehensible as they knew it was. But, but when you have free speech, in order to have that, you have to be able to stomach hearing a lot of ugly things. That, that is just part and parcel of free speech. And if you only want to have free speech that you like, which that is really inherently what leftists want. They only want, they're the most intolerant people. They, they preach. And again, it has to do with the uh, dishonesty of how they fight. They preach tolerance, 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 up until you disagree with them. And because they tend to surround themselves a, a bunch around a bunch of people that think the same way, they think that, oh, they're being so tolerant because look at all these people that have different views. But, but they're all pretty much the same. But so as soon as they come against a conservative who disagrees, oh, no, we've got to shut them down. So where's the tolerance? Who's the intolerant one? So it comes to a point where a lot of these Republicans are Republicans are are some of the Republicans are our enemies, the ones that try too hard to be sweet to the enemy, thinking that, oh, you know, if we just play really nice, then they will. Then maybe we can work something out. These Republicans are stupid because if they have not learned from history, look at what has been happening. All of these so many of these Republicans try to not just completely butt heads with the radical leftists to try to play nice with them. And they keep crushing us and they keep just putting us down. And so there comes a point where people have to stop being suckers and they have to fight for what is right. And I I just I cannot stand the person that just wants to uh, sit there and constantly compromise on core principles. It's fine. I'm big on compromising things, that, you know, that aren't down to your core principles, but they want to shut us down. Look at with, for example, uh, with Facebook, no, granted, that's not the government doing that, but but people that still, uh, I, I'm, I, I just, with what's going on, we're seeing more and more uh, clamping down on freedom of speech, freedom of association. Look at how what they've been doing to churches in terms of oh, you know, for the longest time you can't go to church, but oh, let let violent riots go on? Sure. And then and then when coronavirus numbers start increasing, yeah, we, then, just, we, oh, Teddy, not, we just we just started meeting all, all of our church just started meeting at Walmart since we are allowed in there. Good for them. Good for I'm them. Just I'm just <laughs> I get just what you're a, saying, Teddy. I, I do. I really do get what you're saying there. Um, I was just gonna say don't turn it don't turn your church into a strip club uh, like that one. <laughs> did you guys hear about that? <laughs> oh, no, yes, I didn't hear about yes. that. What yes, about? I did. Yeah. Yeah, it was on the what, what do you mean? Um, yep. That's where I saw it. Uh, but yeah, apparently, when pastors yeah. 
doing like a little strip show. Obviously not all the way down, but because churches aren't allowed, but strip clubs are. Uh, so he, he does a little dance at the beginning or something. But yeah, I, I <laughs> way to get people in church. I had somebody <laughs> yesterday. I had somebody yesterday tell me that religion, your uh, Christianity, has oppressed all of the other religions over the centuries and over the years. That's why uh, you have to say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. That's another show, but I'll just, I just figured I'd jump that in on that. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on there. There is, I think there is a divide. I think uh, um, we understand that there is, but I don't think anybody in this panel is at the point where we're like, you're the enemy, you know, you're the enemy. Uh, David Johnson's my enemy. No. Um, but there are things, policies and stuff that we can disagree vigorously over and just say, you know what, let's, you know, this is about the consent of the governed. All right. This is a, this is about self-government, you know, let's put it to a vote. Let's put the best, the representative in there that's going to represent us and see where it goes from there. Right. Um, we can, we can take that, you know, that's what we agreed to. So long uh, as the vote's legitimate, because uh, you take we'll away- We'll get to that, Teddy. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. I promise. Um, but like, okay, so the thing is, is like, there is a point where we will not compromise any longer. You know, I do agree with that. And I, and I think David spelled that out in his video as well. The- the idea that I, I don't understand is the grace period is expired. You know, the grace period is not expired. We should be able to say, okay, this is what's wrong with the system. Let's fix it. Let's actually look into these and get a round table together and, and look at these issues. You know, we talked about, uh, is there systematic racism on PRA? We did a live. I, I heard both testimonies. Sorry. Um, but the funny thing was, is that when I started looking at the stats that were given, uh, I found out through other people and other people's researchers that there are disparities in the in the stats that were quoted. Huge disparities that would pretty much make the problem non-existent um, or not the problem or the particular genre, not, you know, uh, non-existent. You know, how do we deal with that together? How do we deal with, okay, there's a stat that comes out, right, that says there's systematic racism, okay? Um, uh, people that, that do stats also come out and say, okay, here's the disparities here that pretty much nullify the stat. And let's say another group says, oh, no, 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 this is, this is, this is correct. Where do we come together and basically say, okay, what's really going on here? What's the best way to do that? We have to be more social with each other. We have to connect with each other more than what we are now. Otherwise, these 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 uh, these stats are going to remain. Uh, they're not going to be countered. They're not going to be brought to the public's attention because the media doesn't care. They only care what makes them ratings. Um, maybe we're going to have to blow up the coffee houses again and start having debates in coffee houses again. You know. 
I mean, I'm not talking about blow up, like literally blow up. I'm not talking about that. Y'all know I'm all I'm on board about. with that. I think that's great. Go into the coffee houses. uh, Have those social areas again to where, you know, hey, let's have a discussion. I mean, how many of us actually go to a town hall these days? Like, do we go to them all the time? No. No, we don't. We are part of the problem, too. We are on this side of the, 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 the spectrum, at least for myself, I recognize that, yes, I am kind of part of this this problem too because i haven't engaged enough either i look at my screen time that apple gives me every week and i'm way i'm on the phone way too much <laughs> you know what i mean so um yeah i think there's issues here i don't think we're at the point where we have to uh uh separate i don't know what was lost between the 90s when we were watching in living color and everybody made fun of everybody to the point here where we can't say anything without somebody being so offended they're ready to start a riot. Um, I, I, um, the whole idea with the, this police brutality stuff, um, we always understood that there were bad apples in the bunch. Always. Always understood that. And we have to do something about it. You know? Yes. Do we need to even reform things on top of it? Um, absolutely, yes. Um, so th- this brings me to the next, uh, and I, I'm going to try to, like, kind of... Can I mention something it. really quick that's really important? Go ahead. Okay. Um, with what you were saying in terms of, for example, the debates in the coffee houses, and, and which I love. I love debates. But here's what has changed about America. Now, if you bring... Uh, if, if you wear a... a a baseball cap with make America, a MAGA hat, make America great again. If you put a bumper sticker on your car for Trump, if you put a sign for Trump outside, you are totally um, assuming quite a risk that somebody is going to damage your property or possibly hurt you. And there have been people who have been assaulted over. I, I mean, my elderly uncle was wearing just a, a hat. He's a veteran, a Korean War veteran. And he was wearing a hat with an American flag on it. And I, I used to be a little concerned about whether somebody might do something crazy to him. And so the the climate, the political climate has changed and it is palpable because I'm just telling you, you risk real uh, threat to your property or your personhood if you put a Trump sign out. And we all know that. I mean, I'd like to know how many Trump signs are out there in places that aren't um, you know, overly conservative, you know, cities or towns. But so uh, that has changed. And when that change, when that given that change, that is what starts to light the fire for creating not just enemies in terms of political thought, but out and out enemies. And I don't want that to happen. I want my country to be the way it has been during my life, not this craziness, this disgusting thing that has become now. Um, and, and so to 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 think that it, it's not that things aren't getting ready to rise to a boil um, it, 
it is rising to a boil because there are too many of us right now who have to think twice in terms of what we say and to whom and to how many people are around uh, out of concern for our safety. And so that's where, you know, it takes people with courage to speak out and um, and let the chips fall where they may. But, you know, we have to have courage. And uh, the, the left never seems to be short of that. They will they will do all sorts of things. But part of the reason why the left has that courage is because they know that frequently on the other side, we're neutered. And many times um, it's uh, part of us being neutered has to do with uh, or maybe not neutered, but part of us is because our hands are tied because of our Christianity in terms of not um engaging in underhanded tactics or immoral tactics. And part of it is just that we frequently seek to get along. And sometimes we we value getting along with the other side more than doing what we need to do to protect our country and doing what's right. So that was my two cents. Okay, thanks, Teddy. Uh, so I do want to move on. Um, let's start addressing specific things these guys say. Um, the Supreme Court sides with the church. Uh, social distancing is important. The church has basically got a license to kill. Uh, Teddy, you did bring that up at first. Um, so this kind of brings me into like the historical argument here because um, <clears throat> we have this issue. They and, and David Johnson brings there's a you know it, he he acts like the issue is with conservative Christians. Like, this is the, the country's problem, is Christianity. Um, let's mix it up. Caleb, why don't you start us out? This whole idea of the historical. And I, I'll, I'll comment last. So it's is it on the Supreme Court decision or just the, the general? That, that and the general. Uh, just go wherever you want to go with it. Oh, yeah. So I, yeah, I, I think that the idea that you know, the license to kill terminology is misleading because I think it's, uh, Teddy said earlier, I, there's a lot of personal responsibility on the person. It's similar to saying, you know, we should be allowed to sell tobacco products and, and even fast food. I mean, it's obviously bad for your health and you're taking a risk by doing it. But, you know, as long as people are informed and are aware that there is a risk, which I don't imagine how anyone could not think that at this point, uh, then I think that part of the responsibility is on them. And so I don't think you can take complete blame for it. And I also don't like how John MacArthur handled it. I think that he went in the opposite direction. I do think churches should take precautions to try, you know, they shouldn't just invoke being unsafe. I think masks and stuff are great. But, I, yeah, I think that completely banning it is horribly unconstitutional and just uncalled for. And, there are, and although there are online services and stuff which are good, there are certain... Um, you know, like Catholicism, which I'm not Catholic, but I'm aware that in Catholicism, when they do the uh, Eucharist, they have to have the priest bless it, and it, they believe it literally transforms into water, uh, into blood and bread. Now, whether or not blood and skin, whether or not you believe that, I think either way, the whole point is it has to be done in person, right? I don't think you can do that virtually, as, as far as I'm aware. So some of those, some religious rituals have to be done, I think, in person in order for them to happen. So uh, if we're going to value that, then I don't see how you could realistically um, ban it while still being constitutional. I do think that comes to a personal liberty um, idea, and the uh, the term that was thrown around by a couple people was consent of the governed, and that, that's why I like that. And that's why I 
think libertarianism, in my opinion, is most consistent because we we desire the consent of the governed on all aspects of life, whether it be your personal life, your show, your social life, or your economic life. And uh, we, we think the government should stay out of every aspect it can. And I think the idea, although not uh, not practical, would be what I call individual anarchism, which is not the idea that the government doesn't exist, but the idea that you can control your own life with your own autonomy as long as you also grant that right to other people and you let them do it. So obviously the exception to that, and this is what we call the non-aggression principle in libertarianism, is that you can't harm a person or their, another person or their property directly because then you would be inclu- you'd be indulging on their freedom. So in the ideal world, everyone could do what they want, but the government's there to stop people from infringing on the rights of other people um, without their consent. Now, if you, in contractual agreements in areas where there is consent, um, you know, Facebook was brought up. They are a private company, and they can run it how they want. I don't want the government coming in saying you have to let conservatives speak because I, I think that's government regulation. Uh, I don't like that Facebook is censoring people, but the idea of if I can opt out freely without any violence being done, I think that's preferable. So um, I do think that that's ultimately the role of government, and I respect that God gave us free will for that decision. And although people do things with that free will that I obviously don't agree with, uh, I don't think that it is our job to go in and enforce it as Christians. I think that would just cause more resentment, which is why God doesn't you know, force us to love him and to accept him. And uh, ultimately, I think government is just there to keep order and to make sure that we don't hurt each other or each other's property. But uh, I don't want the government coming in telling me how to have to do a church service or how, who you can love or, um, many, or how, how you can run a business and many other things. And so um, I think, guess that's just why I'll leave it. All right, Rob, why don't you hear from you first, or a second? I think we're going to find ourselves, um, you know, Caleb spoke about personal autonomy. I think we're going to probably find ourselves eventually. I'm not sure when that's going to be. I'm not a prophet, nor am I a son of a prophet. But there's there's levels of civil disobedience in ethics. And uh, I think it's going to be a matter of conscience. I think with... With the question about government and the Supreme Court, I think the current administration acted constitutionally. And I think the liberal left with the change before this administration, they had the same situation and they opted not to, thinking that it was to be for the next administration. Now, that's neither here nor there. But I think we have to understand that what we're seeing is a little bit, uh, not a little bit, but a lot of government overreach. And I think uh, the Christian conscience is going to be whether or not we're going to submit to Caesar or we're going to uh, act in Christian conscience and say, this is what I will not do. I will not support tax, paying taxes to fund federally uh, funded abortions. I will not uh, pay taxes towards uh, funding euthanasia uh, or you know which you know could happen um, things that are, are violating the moral law of God Romans 13 does speak to this speaking in our context here as believers Romans 13 is going to be one I think we're going to have to know as much as we know our constitution if not better all right well uh Dale let's get you in here and we'll let Teddy close it out. 
All right. Um, so, so yeah, I, I agree with what everyone said. I think that the Supreme Court decision to uphold religious rights uh, was great. Um, I know that the skeptics were kind of thinking, oh, it's only they're trying to make it seem like only Christians get to meet, and no, that it's every religious adherent gets to. Yeah. At least if I understand the ruling, I'm not an American, but um, yeah, I guess uh, just to contribute something unique from a Canadian perspective. So. I think that we have what are called char our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and these are entrenched rights. These are very important um, to uphold, um, and you should only ever infringe on those rights in certain circumstances. So we have what's called a, a reasonable limits clause in our Constitution um, for our rights, and there are certain tests that you have to meet before you can infringe on someone's rights. So number one, you have to prove that uh, sorry, so when you infringe on someone's rights, it has to be to a minimal degree, as minimal as possible, and it also has to pass a proportionality test, meaning that the consequences of it uh, are proportional and, and not worse than the benefits from infringing on the right. And with these lockdowns, I don't think that they're doing that. Just a total broad lockdown. They're not passing this Oaks test. Um, and that sort of thing. So yeah, that, that's sort of my stance is why I think it's wrong. It's it's illegal, it's unconstitutional, and we should be fighting it. All right, Teddy. Oh, you gotta unmute yourself. Sorry. Um, <laughs> keep forgetting. Um so I I do believe that the the federal government and the the local government uh, I do think that they have the ability in times of crisis to make sometimes certain unusual uh, restrictions on our liberty, but they have to have a reasonable basis for doing so and for how long that goes for. And there, there is, is going to constantly have to be this assessment of risk benefit in terms of risk to our liberties and our freedoms versus benefit. Um, so I, I do acknowledge that. And, um, and I think that because part of the thing is not everybody has good judgment. If everybody had good judgment, we wouldn't have to worry about things. So while I would have preferred, for example, for shops and stores to have on their own mandated that if you want to come into to this shop, you better wear a mask. But the problem is in the very beginning in the city that I live in, they weren't doing that. So you go in and given what the science was telling us, which of course, remember the science was telling us that Corona spreads very easily and can be on everything you need to, to wipe down your groceries. And now the science is telling us that, well, it doesn't seem to adhere very well to a lot of these items. And so you don't really need to wipe down your groceries and, and this and that. So, you know, that's one of the things about science. It's, it's, it's certain up until the point that a new experiment shows it to be uncertain. So how certain really is it? It's not, you know, but it's the best thing we've got. So I'm very pro science, but, um, 
But so I was actually very glad when, you know, they, they started to put some rules and regs on businesses to require masks because so many people weren't doing it on their own. And so then that puts other people at risk, uh, you know, from what we thought in terms of what the science was telling us of going to a store to get necessities. So I don't have a problem with in, in these types of situations, you know, we have to bend a little bit, but, but when they started um, engaging in this hypocrisy of, uh, you know, Mario Cuomo, let's put a bunch of COVID positive people into nursing homes. And, and Andrew's talking about, oh, you know, churches are going to be killing off all the old people. What about the New York governor that was putting all those people, the COVID positive people back into nursing homes, infecting everyone? That is what I'm saying about there is a lack of intellectual consistency and honesty in the dialogue. There is, you know, how can he say that with a straight face to people who know better, yet they'll still say it. And so, you know, it, it, how much can you deal with people? How, I mean, it's always really, you're not going to change their mind. It's, it's the third party listener that we are hoping to potentially influence because we're not going to change the mind of somebody that's engaging in that kind of argumentation that they know for a fact is is just you know horse pucky so um i'm glad that at least the supreme court stood up for that it was overdue and and, and i think even before that case there was a, a situation in new york um among i think some some jewish people where they weren't letting them congregate uh i think it was dealing with a playground or something but anyway but um but so you know we have to remember that, you know, with the Bill of Rights, when they were adopted along with the Constitution, the founding father, well, the framers of the Constitution, many of which were our founding fathers, the very first amendment that they wanted to make so explicit, because they knew that it was understood from the Constitution that that was a very limited document in terms of limiting the powers of the federal government. So they understood, they were thinking, well, you know, we really don't need to attach this Bill of Rights because we're already saying this is what the federal government can do. This is what the states can do. It should be obvious. But they were like, well, but you know what? Maybe some people won't understand it to be so obvious. So they put the Bill of Rights in. And of course, the very first amendment. What is the first thing that is mentioned? You know, it gets into freedom of religion that the federal government, Congress, shall not establish a national religion. Now, at that time, there were several state governments that did have state-sponsored religions. So these people that, that misconstrue what Jefferson was talking about, this wall uh, with church and state, um, actually, that wall was meant so that the state would not infringe upon the church, not the other way around. People don't understand that very well. But, um, you know, so we need to remember that. And then there's just the, uh, the not just that there shouldn't be a, a state sponsored or a federal 
religion, official religion, but that people, everyone should have the freedom of religion. And then afterwards is freedom of speech and freedom of association. But we should never forget that the very first thing that was mentioned was religion. And so, uh, you know, that that's an important thing for people to to keep in mind. And I will say freedom to have an absence of religion as well. We have to, uh, you know, we have to be tolerant and and tolerance is what God teaches us, because from God's own behavior where he gives us free will. That that's basically tolerance. In, right. in the highest form. Hey, Teddy, do you mind if I just quick, very yeah. quickly ask, because I know that you're a lawyer. Um, in, in the U.S. context, do you guys have anything from a legal standpoint comparable to the Oaks test that Canada has for assessing if there can be a reasonable limit to our rights? Or? Oh, yes. I mean, they're constant. For example, you know, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. So there, there's constantly these uh, balancing of of rights and responsibilities and 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 how far the government can infringe on things so yes yes it, it, i mean we are we have over the years come so far away from what the bill of rights says i mean for example yeah. and and let's let's talk about that a little bit um let's talk about uh first off the the you know david johnson makes the case that our government is purely secular, you know, purely secular. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about that. And let's let's talk about uh, uh, the actual separation of church and state. Let's talk about religious liberty in general, because <clears throat> religious liberty wasn't an absolute right because it had to follow or not violate the rules of society. Uh, according to the founders, government can support religion. If that religion does not violate the religious liberty of others, Massachusetts, they had a policy on giving money to preachers. Prayer and basic Christian teachings were encouraged in school. Encouraging religion was viewed as a duty of government for the sake of protecting natural rights. So these ideas that came out, I mean, even even uh, John Adams says our Constitution was made. Only for a moral and religious people, it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So are we purely secular, or is there a philosophy behind this thing? Is there an actual idea of the founders would have called it religious people and uh, being able to display a type of moral virtue in the way they govern our society? Is there that aspect as well? Uh, let's let's give it to the to the political science major again. So you are asking whether or not uh, what the role of religion and state is as far as the separate. Yeah, the I mean, what do you think? Are, are, and and are we purely a secular government, or do we have roots in in religious thought? Well, I think as far as roots, and I mean, I think that's obviously yes. I mean. Prior to, I think it was the 1950s. Prayer was pretty common in schools. Uh, it was fairly, you know, common. So I don't, I don't, I don't think anyone can deny that evangelicalism was the dominant view within the public institution for probably a hundred years or more. Um, as far as the founding fathers, I think I know we discussed this a little bit 
Um, I, I think most of them, to my knowledge, were deists to a certain degree and were not necessarily, some of them were Christians, but they weren't uh, as conservative as, as you uh, might think. I know Thomas Jefferson wrote a, uh, he, he, he authored his own version of the Bible, but he took out all the miracles. He liked Jesus as a person, he just didn't believe in the, all the supernatural uh, intervention in the world. Uh, Thomas Paine and a couple others, I think, as well. Um, but I also um, I think that religion obviously has played a very important hi- role in history. And I know there was a Supreme Court case. I think this was back in the 50s or 60s. I could be wrong. It was Jehovah's Witnesses didn't want to like salute the flag and say the Pledge of Allegiance because it violated their religion. And I think the uh, Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Jehovah's Witnesses, if I remember correctly. So there is that idea of infringement on religious rights. So I would say my position would be that um, what uh, I think it was Rob who brought it up earlier, like taxpayer, you know, funding to abortion or euthanasia or whatever. I would agree with both ways. I would say that I don't think that taxpayer money should go to fund any promotion of religion or religious institution. I also don't think anything funded by taxpayers should go to prohibit it either. So um, if someone wants to have a Bible study, for example, uh, a teacher can lead it as long as the teacher is not being paid for that particular time. I don't know if it's hourly or how the salaries work exactly. Um, but you can also teach religions in, um, in public schools, you know, just religious classes. I don't think anything's wrong with that as long as you're not particularly, you know, endorsing one over the other. But you also see those with uh, state houses with the Ten Commandments and even with the Satanist statutes, which I know we also discussed of, I think one or two states had the Church of Satan that had a big um, statue of a, uh, I forget what the, well, of of the goat, I forget what the um, thing is called. There's a, Baphomet, that's the word. Uh, That's uh, the word for it. Uh, In front of it, as as a way to express individual liberty. And I, Although I obviously don't like it, I I think they have that right. Um, as long as my as long as taxpayer money doesn't go to fund the actual statue, if a private organization wants to r- raise the funds to do it, that's fine. I would say the same with the Ten Commandments. I don't think they should be taken down, but I don't think taxpayer money should be used to go to fund as far as the making of the statue. If, if a church wants to hire their own person to do it and then put it on there, I think that's perfectly fine. So I I would just say it comes down to where the money is going and who's funding it. As long as it's not being funded by the government. I don't see any issue in it for any religion. All right. Uh, anybody else? Yep. I'll let... uh, yeah. Um, springboarding off of something that Caleb just said, in 1972, the, the Wiccans were actually the one of the first occult groups in the United States that I can recall that received tax-exempt status. So um, talk about liberty. And, of course, I think America has lost its concept on liberty. I've been listening to Oz Guinness lately, and um, he has a book that I uh, started reading. I got about three quarters through it, and I ended up getting distracted, called The Free People's Suicide, How America Has Lost Its Identity on Liberty. And I think we have lost our identity, and I agree with him, that we've lost our identity and liberty seeing as liberty as a virtue. Now we see liberty and freedom as a matter of personal autonomy. And it's like I can say what I want to say. I can do what I want to do. I can do and And you should not infringe upon my liberties. And, of course, the other kind of liberty where liberty is a virtue is liberty with a limit. And, of course, isn't that biblical liberty? 
Biblical liter- liberty is where we are free in Christ. If you, if you walk in his commandments, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And anybody who's, uh, uh, we've been made free on this because we have that liberty, but that liberty has restrictions and true liberty has restrictions when we understand what the Constitution has to say about what we can and cannot do and 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 not I don't think the Constitution is is a rubber document. Uh, I, I think it's you know through sound critical thinking, you know we can understand our liberties and and all. Um, also there's a, a, a video series through um, I think it's through uh, Eric Metaxas's group where Guinness gives a, a, a series of talks on where is America heading? The question was, is America a secular government? You know, if America keeps going where it is going, America removing religion will be truly a secular government. Thank you, Rob. Uh, Teddy, you're next. So um, I deeply believe, and it is what our founding fathers uh, and framers of the Constitution believed in, and, and that is that our society is it, the whole foundation for this society, for America, is it's undergirded by the Judeo-Christian values. And to say otherwise is to just either not know what you're talking about or just trying to, uh, to make things look like they're what they're not. Uh, you know, they're just Congress. They start off their sessions with a prayer. The Supreme Court building has the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, very obviously and prominently displayed are penal laws are for the most part based upon the Ten Commandments. Um, they're just so, I mean, our, our currency has things like in God we trust and, and, and our, our monuments and, and we have uh, religious symbols all over the place. So to, to make it seem like America is secular, that's, that's absurd. Now, just because, and I mean, they have the Easter egg roll every year at the White House, even under Obama, they did it. And um, they put up a Christmas tree. So it, again, it's absurd to think that, that, that uh, our government is just totally secular. Now, that's not to say I mean, you can be religious, you can have religious underpinnings to your government, yet still be tolerant of other religions and still uphold the value of freedom of religion. And, and, you know, so if somebody has a religion where, you know, uh, they get closer to God by murdering people, well, you know, then we have the whole concept of, of your rights end as soon as they start impinging upon someone else's rights. So, you know, there's that, that's where the, the key limit 
comes into play. So, um, but but yes, this is not a secular government. That's not the same as saying that it's a theocracy, because again, we're tolerant of other religions. So we're not Iran. All right. Uh, Dale, do you have any thoughts on this? I know, no, it doesn't apply to you much, but uh, I'm sure you do have some way in there. Yeah, well, like I said, I think I agree with what uh, both Teddy and, and Caleb were saying and, and Rob in general. Um, there's one thing I'm not sure about, but yeah, we have to go back to what, what was the point of secularism. I mean, this thing has a historical context. It's in reaction to what happened in England uh, with the religious persecution back and forth between uh, the fat religious factions and that sort of thing. So basically what the U.S. Constitution, from my understanding as a Canadian, was about, it's, it's about not infringing on people's ability to freely worship whatever faith you are um, kind of thing. And, and that's what secularism is about. It's, it's not about, you can't have a Christmas tree because that's promoting a religious thing. I mean, I, I, I was told a bunch of things I'm not allowed to say or I could get fired. I'm, I'm in academia, right? I'm a teacher. So at a secular university and that sort of thing. So um, I think we're going to crazy limits when we become, you know, if you say Merry Christmas, oh, that's so offensive. How dare you say that? And, and that's not secularism. I mean, come on. Uh, this is just nonsense, in my opinion. It's it's more about not imposing or endorsing a specific religion and preventing other people from, from doing that sort of thing. So that's sort of my fundamental take on what the point of secularism is about. All right. Well, thank you very much for that. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I I truly think that the uh, and this is where me and Caleb disagreed uh, in our talk uh, as as we we're setting this up is that you know from my studies of the history of the Constitution, which I am a registered taking a registered class for, um, there were over uh, fifty out of the fifty two that were committed to uh, a church that created the Constitution. Um, they're committed to uh, Christianity. Uh, even Jefferson, who was an Episcopalian, who did uh, favor deism over over the teachings of, of the Episcopal Church, uh, still had high regard for religion in the society. Uh, these founders believed that these framers believed that uh, government had a vested interest in religion because they knew that you can't have morality without religion. Um, we still discuss this today. I mean, we had a big old roundtable on on uh, morality, um, but I, I don't want to just say this without backing it up. Uh, Washington, George Washington said that uh, um, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to a political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable reports uh, uh, supports. Uh, he also said. Um, uh, that, let's see, you can't, uh, the, uh, whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on minds of peculiar structure, reason and experience both forbid us to expect the national morality can prevail in exclusion of, reli of religious principle. Um, the liberty, he also says, the liberty enjoyed by the people of these states of worshiping Almighty God agreeably to their consciences is not only among the choicest of their blessings, 
but also of their rights. Um, there's there's a lot of a lot of stuff to be said here. There's a lot of stuff in our founding that we take for granted. Uh, we we don't understand their system of thought, their idea of separation of church and state. Um, the state could promote certain things. It was left up to them, and it was kind of the federal government's idea to stay out of them as long as that, again, they didn't infringe on people's right to worship other things. The problem is we've softened up to the point where if somebody sees something they don't like and complain about it, they'll cry loud enough to where they're going to take you to court and try to get their way. And it works in a lot of areas. Uh, another big one is the Second Amendment. We didn't talk about that one. And I, I think we're going to wrap it up with that one. Okay. Is that? Go ahead, ask, Dale. Oh, sorry. If it's okay, can I just ask Rob a quick, a quick question on yeah. clarification? Um, so you mentioned the liberty with limits, and yep, f fully agree with you from a, a biblical or moral standpoint. You know, definitely Christians have limits. Like I can't swear or use crude jokes to promote the message and stuff like that. I'm not sure. Did did you also mean that from like a legal or political perspective? I'm not sure if I. Yeah, like did you mean in that context as well? Or I appreciate your question, David. Um, I guess where I was coming from on that was just from the the concepts of liberty and freedom and as far as what they were intended by our framers and um, where America has gone. When you talk about Christian liberty, you, you know, you're dealing with the, the Christian conscience as far as what you understand scripture to say, to mean, and how it applies um, but ultimately, true freedom, true freedom, and I believe that the, the spiritual realm is the higher level. I don't think anybody will disagree with us here on that, that um, true freedom is in a personal relationship with Christ. And, and But yes, there is a moral law that we are still bound to. We're not bound under the ceremonial law. We're bound under the moral law of God. We believe, or at least I do, that with regards to the ceremonial law of Israel, that, that it was it was embedded, it had Christ, a picture of who Jesus is and what he was going to come to do for us, that it was a picture of who Jesus was. We are not under that ceremonial law. We're under a moral law. So that's where the restrictions are. That answer your question. Can I say one more? I was going to make a quick comment on that too, but he got a he got ahead of me. Now I was just going to say I think that this idea of liberty is going to depend a little bit on your theology because I know that Rob is a little bit more reformed in his uh, definition of free will, and I'm more of an Arminian and Molinist. So I think this idea of freedom with limits is definitely a little bit more of a compatibilist point of view. Um, you know, saying that you're a puppet is free as long as he loves his strings kind of thing. So I think that's just why we'd have slightly disagreements as far as what I, I don't believe we are a puppet. And I do believe that we have free will. There's a fine line between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm just saying I think you, you and I would define free will slightically differently, um, which there's a reason why it's much. called libertarian free Not will. Too much. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dale? Right, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, that, that answers my question. I was misunderstanding um, what you were meaning there. So, yeah, thanks for clarifying that up. My pleasure. Awesome. Well, you know, I want to open it up to you guys. Uh, you know, I, I've kind of been...
given spiels and stuff like that. I do want to open it up to you guys to to respond to anything you saw in the video that really stood out to you. Um, I'll let I'll, again. I'll let Caleb go first since he's the 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 sci major there, local science major. So, uh, Caleb. I'm going to be honest, I didn't watch the whole video, so if someone else can go first, and I'll build off of what they say. All right, good. Um, anybody else want to take a stab at the video? I watched about two-thirds of the video. I found, that the, I found it interesting that there, was, there were some folks in that, that were speaking to David that we, I think we could have a dialogue with. They seemed a little bit more amenable to dialogue and speaking to an intelligent type of Christianity. David, on the other hand, I don't know what it is that that has him all spun up about uh, that we are the enemy, that there is no dialogue uh, that is available. Uh, my question to him would be, what would open up the opportunity for dialogue? What is it that that closed the dialogue? I don't think that was dispelled in the video. Like I said, like Caleb, I didn't watch all of the video, and I don't think I heard what in that and what I watched. But I think that I go back to seeing the video that I put on their on their their thread, the dialogue between um, Corey Miller from Rosho Christie and Peter Bogosian, who wrote the book basically on how to take a, a Christian who uh, does not think with their mind about why Christianity is true and, and convert them into an atheist in 10 minutes or less. Um, I find it interesting that Corey and Peter Bogosian were talking, and both of them were saying that our culture and academia is in trouble. And I mentioned earlier that academia right now is pushing a liberalism that we are seeing. And if you go back 30 years uh, from, from where academia was, I think it started even 40 years ago, where we are seeing now the trends happening where now the schools have become more and more dens of skepticism, not just in the 90s, but even more today. And even some Christian colleges are opening up uh, uh, the, the put allowing the camel to come in, allowing people holding to a neo-orthodox view or even some type of liberal view. Um, there are pockets in universities in, in our culture today that profess to be Christian universities, and a conservative isn't necessarily conservative as far as a biblical evangelical conservative, but conservative just maybe on some other things. But I digressed. Um, what is it that will open up the dialogue? And if there is a dialogue still, I, I think we have some good examples with the Bogosian-Miller discussion that I hope you gentlemen on your video watch uh, and, and see that it can be done. All right. Who's next? This is your chance to address the video specifically. Okay. Um, there was a, a point on the video um, where uh, Brian with a Y was uh, saying something in terms of the elections, how, oh, Trump kept saying that uh, 
the elections or the election was going to be fraudulent and like he was trying to prime the pump for that. But it, there's a reason he wasn't just saying it. We were watching uh, all of these election laws in several states that were, you know, uh, strongholds for Republicans, where the election laws were being changed in order to lower what the safeguards were against voter fraud. So, uh, yeah, you know, there's a reason why, you know, not only Trump, but every, you know, Republican with half a brain was saying they're going to steal the election and then we're going to have a commander in thief. I think I just dubbed that. Um, anyway, so, um, uh, David said something which I found was curious. Hold on, I'm trying to find it. Um, it was where he um, was talking about freedom of religion trying to find it sorry um but he said he said something to the effect of why do i need government to give me freedom of religion i think i think that that's what it was why does he need government to give him freedom of religion because he was saying oh i can just have it well yeah you can have it in your brain but you can't exercise it and you can't spread it unless you live in a society or you can't spread it very well unless you live in a society that isn't going to try to to kill you or imprison you if you were doing so so um you know sure there you know in in and that, let me just add this to teddy uh, i agree that uh for any type of free society to exist, there has to be religious freedom. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I tell people it's a double-edged sword sometimes, uh, there has to be freedom of religion. And I think the other side of that sword is kind of is one of the reasons we have so many skeptics. You know, is because we've had the uh, uh, fundamental fundamentalists like the Westboro Baptists ruin Christianity for some people. And they're in, in the Westboro Baptist. I mean, people mention that they're I mean, they're pretty much I, I'm only aware of just one group and that and that's a tiny group. I know it's pretty much his whole it, the dude's family, um, you know, like 40 people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they're all, I believe, family members. So when people bring up the Westboro Baptist Church, um, that, that's just such a red hair. I mean. We don't have, I mean, no, granted, there are some people who profess to be Christians that do and say a lot of things that I strongly disagree with and, and might even condemn. But but even those people are usually nothing close to the, the loons that yeah, are in you the see, Baptist church. Yeah, but you see where I'm coming from. You know, yeah. I mean, we have had, I mean, there's there's several times I would walk down on the beach on my vacation and mm-hmm. see signs in Virginia beach with people saying, God hates you. God hates you because you're gay or God hates you. I've never seen anything like that in my yeah. life. And I mean, I have, 
I mean, and I don't know. It kind of puts up the idea, you know, okay, so is David Johnson just hanging around those type of Christians? Because Matthew, like Rob was saying, there's some other people on the panel. Matthew was very gracious, uh, you, you know, um, and, and, you know, I enjoyed a lot of what, what he had to say um, on that on that panel discussion. And it was like, you know, who are you hanging out with versus who was Matthew hanging out with? And there's a, there is a good divide. But the thing that Matthew talks about, you know, he's good with um, the Christians who have a far looser sense of Christianity in terms of adhering to what the Bible says. And that's because it doesn't come into as sharp a contrast with his own worldview. But but here's the thing. And and here's like and and uh, Andrew and, and Matthew and David, they all frequently talk about they they make it seem like we have a choice in terms of which God, which religion to pick. You know, and, and that's absurd. It it's we need to find out what is true because you know what? I don't need a religion just to have a religion. I'm fine if 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 there were no God, in fact, I don't need a God to feel good about life. But I believe that there is a God. And so then that puts the responsibility on me to figure out, well, well, who is God? What is God? Does God have any rules for me? And if so, what is the basis for thinking that? And is it credible? Um, and, and if it is credible, which I do believe that it is, then are there repercussions if you don't adhere to the rules? And, you know, the Bible tells us that there are. So then we need to follow the rules if we don't wish to, you know, uh, be in opposition to God. So it's not that we choose as, you know, I want to go with the Christian God just because, you know, I align with that philosophy. It's, it's I go with the Christian God because that is the God that I think is real and true. And so it, they, but they, but they like to, the atheists like to make it seem like we're going to a cafeteria and we have our choices in terms of which God to pick. But, but that's, that's like childish thinking. That is not what religion is. If you don't believe that it, it's true, then, you know, I'm sure there are some people that like having religion just as a, you know, kind of as the opiate of the masses because it makes them feel good. I'm not one of them. I don't need religion to feel good. Not at all. I'm, I'm, I'm just fine. All my lonesome <laughs> without religion. I don't need it yeah. to feel good. But yeah, I, I know that it's true. And there is something that's really good about when uh, you know uh, that it's true. And, um, and knowing that this life with all of its joys and heartaches, that this is, I think, just a proving ground. God sees how we react yeah. to yeah. to these choices and, you know, to these difficult situations. And, you know, later on is what our true reward is. So, yeah, I agree. I yeah, well, let's, uh, let me, Dale, I think uh, I want you to make a, a comment here. Uh, did you notice anything from the video that you wanted to address real quick? Um, yeah, I think there is a, uh, an interesting point for me that 
comes up a lot in politics is so uh, you know obviously I, I have come out and, and said yeah I support Trump in this election and that sort of thing so I'm on the conservative end um, but I find that a lot of times I just get this emotional reaction as an objection and it's based on objecting to Trump his moral character his personal moral character his tweets his, all that stuff rather than policy rather than what I consider to be the, the substantive meat, the, the reason why we should be voting. So there's this contrast. To, is personal moral character more important than getting policies? So it, it really, David Johnson put it in the ends justify the means type reasoning. So yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. But um, yeah, to, to me, I don't think that personal moral character really matters when I'm electing uh an official or hiring a grocer or something like that unless unless you can prove that it actually affects policy so for example hypocrisy that Teddy was mentioning that really bothers me because that directly translates to how they implement their policies and that sort of thing so yeah I think that there should be a distinction I don't I don't care what Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Bill Clinton did in their their private time so long as it's they're not committing a crime or they're not impacting policy um, but a lot of people see it differently. They see, no, the moral character is the most relevant and that sort of thing. And they, they see that as sort of an issue. So, yeah, I was just sort of curious about the other the other Christians on that distinction because um, I don't see it as an issue. And I know that um, David Johnson has used that, um, you know, so Caleb and Rob won't know that. But, you know, when David's going on about you've lost your credibility, he's talking to me directly. I, I'm not going to believe you and all of your arguments for God and all of this stuff. <laughs> He's just picking you out, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. If you understand the context. So, um, yeah. So, so that's what he means because he sees me as being some sort of hypocrite. You have these Christian moral standards and you're well, not. Dale, really a lot of people, Dale, a lot of people don't realize that you were the former Christian host on skeptics and seekers. Just Teddy does. So that's why, that's why he's saying that. Good. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. David's my, uh, my, much better uh, host replacement, so um, David Russell. Um, but yeah, that's that's what it, it's just such a fundamental misunderstanding. For Christians aren't supposed to. I, I don't believe Donald Trump is a a Christian uh, and that sort of thing in the real sense. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm not voting for a pastor. Um, we're not supposed to hold Christian ideals and judge non-believers in that way. So yeah, just wondering if how do you guys see that do you, do you guys think that personal moral character should be uh, a f relevant factor in well, voting for think, something yeah that's a great great point you bring up um i i'm of the personal conviction that what you do in your private life is, is should not be separate from what you do in public you should be consistent okay. okay uh there should be consistent there and that's just a measure of character now i do agree that a lot of the fire charge rhetoric that's going on is because the reason why people did not vote for Trump or voted for Trump, uh, did not vote for Trump was because of his alleged moral character, what he did several years ago. Now, none of us are perfect. All of us live in glass houses. We could do the same thing with Biden. We could do the same thing with how much he interacts with Russia and China and how much his kid uh, went and got money from got money from them. But that's a whole nother can of worms. But what you do in your private life has uh, no different from what you do in your public life. 
Um, I, one thing that was brought up, um, I think with the confusion that, that David and maybe some of the others on that, that, that video was the fact of how they, what they see uh, Donald Trump as far as the Christians that he has around him. Um, they don't make policy, obviously. And I think policy, voting for somebody, getting back real quickly, um, you vote for somebody who, who's going to put good people around them and, and implement the policies that you as a person, as a person believe your, your convictions lead you to believe. Um, but I think with the confusion that the atheists are seeing, in particular those in the video, we're seeing the type of Christianity that we see today. There was a video that came out a few years ago called Mining for God and had some top apologists in there. Um, it is still out, and we're trying to get it shown here in the King George area, in the Spotsy area. But you look at some of the people that you look at some of the Christian, the types of Christianity. We have prosperity gospel, name it, claim it. We have progressive Christianity now, which is a little bit more liberal, that has gone, uh, it's a repackaging of the emergent church of the late 80s and early 90s. We have the new apostolic reformation going, and, and Donald Trump has a lot of new apostolic reformation people going with the seven mountain mandate that is going and saying, we got to get Christians in every pocket of culture so that we can uh, implement, uh, make this a Christian nation again. Um, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibit the free exercise thereof. I, well, First Amendment, yay. Um, but there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of chaos in the church today as far as what Christianity really is. And I think that's probably what the atheists are going and seeing, saying that you can worship, you get to, you have a whole smorgasbord of whatever God you want to worship. And I, I think what we need to understand when we talk about this in this context, we need to understand what Christian we, we do. And we do. And I mean, you know, Caleb and I, we have our differences. Dave and I, we have, you know, some little innuendos and stuff that we love to kick around. And I'm not sure what our what where, where Teddy is on some things or what type of church, but it doesn't matter. It wouldn't matter. She's all over the place. Ted, Teddy's take everybody so. out. <laughs> <laughs> but but, you know, Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. He, he came because man screwed things up. Yes. And the, the crux of the gospel is God created everything perfectly. Man messed it up. Jesus came, lived a life that was perfect, preached a message that was perfect, healed, raised the dead, overtipped the tables of, the, of those who had corrupted the law, died in, as, in our place, for our substitute because of the wrath of God that was going to be incurring on us because we are sinful, human, frail creatures and ultimately so, rose from the dead. Yes. So, okay. So what we're going to do now, just real quick, uh, I know uh, Dale asked, uh, Dale did ask the Christians, hold on, Teddy, uh, that, you, you know, asked, asked them a specific question. Um, I'm going to start the round table here. Uh, Rob, I'm just going to take that as your, your statement there. Uh, cause you answered Dale first. I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to give what I, uh, thought real quick and then give, a uh, my, my closing and then Teddy, you can answer Dale's question and then give your closing Caleb, then get, you know, uh, give your closing 
guys, let's make it like a like at least just just a two minutes, you know, just go as quick as you can. Um, uh, the one issue I had, uh, or, or to Dale's question first, Dale, yeah, I think that uh, there needs to be consistency in people's morals, but I also understand your point that uh, we're not electing a pastor. I, I get that. Um, I also get the fact that uh, somebody that does have moral character, I think that was the framers' idea of somebody that would be good at uh, protecting natural rights. So I think there's that aspect as well. My biggest issue with the video, uh, not the biggest issue, but one issue that, that I don't think was properly addressed so far as the Electoral College. Uh, to me, the Electoral College was brilliant. I think that I think that if somebody, if one of these atheists are, uh, or skeptics, uh, they need to read the Federalist Papers. You need to read the Federalist Papers. You need to understand how our country was, was created. Uh, there's free courses at Hillsdale College that will give you the history of the Constitution. If you want to uh, look into it, you can register for free. Um, I have. I've been enjoying all their, their, their courses for free. They got a Western philosophy one as well, and that's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, so if you want to go and learn about the Constitution and stuff, the Electoral College gives every state a say in the in the republic this is not a pure democracy i don't think trump was a threat to our republic why because we can oust him just like we did or, or the 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 people may have done you know um with the election results he can be out he can be voted out uh did he do enough all this damage i don't think so um did he did he create a racial device uh, uh, division. Probably if he just shut up and didn't get on Twitter all the time. Um, so I, I think, yeah, some of his rhetoric did cause even more of a divide, but I believe that divide was already there. I think it was there, and I think it started a while back. I think it started uh, during probably the end of the Bush administration. Uh, this divide really started kicking up. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, it was just Obama. I'm not going to say here it was Trump. I'm not going to say it was just Bush, but it, it's it's a combination of 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 to me a, a sway in in uh, demographics in this country, uh, the worldview. Uh, we live in a culture where memes are truth. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, when I was growing up, it used to be one-liners, quick, quick, quick quips, as we call them, um, where someone would say something and it would be like a one-liner. Oh, and that was the truth. People would hang off their words like that. But it was just the skin of this truth stuffed with a big fat lie, you know. So uh, we live in a culture today where memes are that 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 uh, that that avenue. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of stuff going on there. I think the, the the culture has 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 its issues versus just the politics. Um, I think the politics are just uh, kind of the the way we can view uh, the sickness that is going on in our culture. And of course, I think. As a Christian, that a lot of it has to do with the abandonment of uh, uh, virtuous principles that were firmly rooted in, in the Christian faith. Uh, there's uh, the Electoral College. Uh, so back to the Electoral College. Yes, it gives every state the, the, a say in the process. Could it be reformed a little bit? Maybe. But yes, it gives every state a say in the republic, and that's how it has to be. We can't have five major population centers dictating to the people that feed them how the country should be ran all the time. We have to give the people that feed them a say as well. So there's a lot to that um, I wasn't able to cover, but 
in the end of the day, that's my take. Uh, I will give it over to Caleb. I haven't heard from him in, in a little bit. So, uh, Caleb, uh, your closing statement and whatever you want to talk about on about the video there. All right, yeah. So I have a lot written down, but I'll just keep it brief. So going back to the moral character thing, I think moral character is preferable, but I also don't think it's necessary. If you look at some of the major changes in the 20th century, for example, uh, probably the most influential um, act regarding African Americans in the 20th century would be Johnson's Civil Rights Act. I think it was 1964. Uh, Johnson himself was a pretty fervent racist and opposed every civil rights bill while he was in Congress. He even called it the N-word bill at one point, but he ended up you know, passing it to help give people a lot of rights. So I think you can have, and of course that was for political reasons, but I think you can have bad intentions and good results um, in the long run. Same with Martin Luther King Jr. was an adulterer who cheated on his wife, and yet he obviously did a lot of great things. Uh, uh, the original Martin Luther as well from the Protestant Refora Reformation was very anti-Semitic and said a lot of horrible things, but he also was very influential with theology. So we could pick apart as many examples as we want of people who have very questionable moral characters that still manage to achieve great things. So I, I, that's kind of the approach that I would have. Um, with the Electoral College, I agree. I, I would want it reformed a little bit in the sense that I think states should go, I think it should be um, proportional for a state. So, for example, instead of winning all of California or all of Texas, I think the winner should get, so if you win by 60%, you should get 60% of the electoral votes. That way, every state um, is competitive to a certain degree and not just winner take all. I do think it's a little unfortunate when a state, when, especially in this election when it's so close, you can win a state by 0.2% and yet get all of the electoral votes, even though it was almost evenly split. So I do think there are ways you could proportionally divide it, but I also think it's better than just a, a popular vote. Because I think, ironically, even though a lot of people on the left like to talk about minorities, I think a popular vote would be the worst thing you could do for minorities because they're never going to get a majority, you know, African-Americans, Latinos, or uh, LGBT people, they're all, they're, all of them are in minority, so they're not going to have an advantage when it comes to just pure populations if we want to go off of that. So if anything, I think we should do a system that benefits both sides and tries to make it as fair as possible. Um, yeah, yeah, I Caleb, guess, let me just offer further reading on that, too. Uh, Federalist 8, 9, and 10. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've, I've read them before in uh, undergraduate school. I just have to to go back and read them. But yeah, to, to close, thanks for being on here. I'm glad that we could all uh, talk about this and have great discussions. And uh, I look forward to having more discussions like this in the future to help unite our country together. And if I ever run for a political office, you know, hopefully keep this in mind when, when considering your vote. So I'll end it on that point. Awesome. All right. Who's next? Teddy? Yes. Um, I wanted to talk about the, the concept of whether our leaders need to, um, to be moral and have a good moral character. And I, that is what I prefer most definitely. I think that when you have um, someone in charge of the country or, or someone in charge of making laws and making decisions, if they are not uh, of good moral character, then you you run a strong risk of um, inconsistent results uh, or, or where you just can't even trust them. And so um, I don't like that. But, you know, the reality of things is that sometimes you have a choice between two people 
or, or several people and none of them really are your ideal. And so you have to pick who the best person is among the choices that you have. And to do something like, you know, what Titus supports of just not being involved in the process and at all, that's just madness. Um, you, you have to at least try to mitigate the damage that two poor choices might do. So, you know, the lesser of two evils. Um, in terms of LBJ, it, it really wasn't, I mean, people like to call it his Civil Rights Act. He wasn't the one fueling that. It was the Republicans. It's always, always, always been the Republicans fueling getting the, the right to vote for women and getting, um, getting rid of slavery. It's always getting rid of separate but equal in, in Plessy versus Ferguson and it's always been the Republicans. And that the, the whole Republican Party was started as an abolitionist party. And people forget that. And people forget that the Democrat Party was started with Andrew Jackson, who was the one that did the Trail of Tears, um, doing all of that damage to our Native Americans here. So, you know, let's not forget our history. Most people have no concept of the history of the Democrat Party and the, the Democrats who love to point fingers at everybody else. Oh, look, you you like Trump. You must be a racist. How about you are in a party of the KKK, of slavery, of, of holding down women from having the right to vote? You get out of that party and then I will think you have some sort of integrity but until you get out of that disgusting party then don't talk to me about oh well you like Trump you know you're a racist you're a this you're a that forget that um you know I have no use for for such uh just just in disingenuous talk um, in terms of the electoral college, the importance of the electoral college, when we get down to the nitty gritty, our framers of the Constitution knew that if you leave everything up to the people, there might come a time, and that time has come, where people are going to be doing some crazy stuff, not using their brains in terms of who they're putting into office. And the Electoral College was supposed to be the ultimate safeguard to where if, if, if we elect, if the people elect, and that's assuming actually elect, not through rigging the system and also fraudulent votes, but even that's assuming a, a, if they legitimately even elect a kook, then the Electoral College is supposed to correct that. That is the ultimate thing for the, for the Electoral College. And, um, and, the, and the biggest thing that I just want to close on is that the beauty of America. This is why as much as the left likes to say that we are, are, have systemic racism, 
That's just a farce. Is that why you have people from all over the world dying sometimes, risking their lives to come to this land of milk and honey? It's because this is the greatest country that God has put on this earth, and we want to preserve it. We, it's the freedom that we have, the right of the individual, not the masses, the, the preservation of each individual having been created in the image of God, that is what we are trying to preserve. And that is what the left is trying to crush. And we have to stop that. And we have to rise against that. And the cowards in the Republican Party have to rise up against it. And there will come a point and, and we have not perhaps come to that point yet where we must some it, at some point we may have to fight like a Democrat. And that's when it's going to get bare knuckled. And that's when you have war. That is war when you have to fight like that, because right now they are fighting uh, with underhanded moves. They are constantly kicking below the belt and we have our hands tied. Well, they're going to destroy this country and we already are seeing that. And, and it's, it's almost, it's unimaginable, but here it is. And so, uh, you know, we must still fight with, with our Christian moral, moral values intact, but God does permit in certain circumstances getting rid of of opposition when they're trying to crush you i mean it's not like that is unheard of in the bible i mean we see that now hopefully that will never come to it and perhaps if republicans uh the most of them grew a spine it would never need to come to that. But if they are going to take away our right to have a free and fair election, then that time has come. And we have to rectify this because Republicans and conservatives will never get anybody into any meaningful position again. So, so you know, the, the time for uh, uh, these, these weak-kneed and weak-willed Republicans uh, kowtowing to their Democrats friends uh you know stand up and if they and if they don't like it then too bad and if that's the end of the friendship that's the end of the friendship but uh we cannot let this great country just go down the toilet so fight well thank you teddy uh you know it's funny uh, i was when we we're thinking about the electoral college just just i want to add one more thing uh jefferson had this uh he was an anti-federalist and he was all for, uh, you know, the the idea of, of the majority and stuff until he was governor of Virginia. And he came back and he realized that uh, the majority tyranny that can go on is could, you, could be just as bad as having a monarch. So there is that. Keep that in mind. Uh, Dale, I'm going to let you close this part out and then I'll just say something brief at the end of the show and then we'll be done. Oh, goodness. I'm expected to follow up after Teddy's uh, passionate speech there. I, I don't think I have that in me, but um, <laughs> I'll give him a go. Yeah, I'll just say thank, yeah, thank you so much to everyone involved. Uh, you guys gave me some great feedback on that question in terms of the 
uh, development of the moral character. And I, I think uh, one thing that you guys look there, we don't live in an ideal world. None of these candidates are morally perfect. Um, you know, I can bring out a list, a laundry list of things uh, against Joe Biden and that sort of thing if I wanted to. So we're, we're all just we're trying to do the best that we can to make an overall judgment when we're doing this. And I think if we apply, you know, that principle of charity and give people the benefit of the doubt and present reasons back and forth, like what we've been doing, and even between us as, as Christians, that there have been one or two things that we haven't totally agreed on, but what a great example. We've, we've been presenting our reasons and dialoguing civilly and that sort of thing. So, that's what we need to do, uh, David Johnson. If you're if you're listening, there is still hope. Um, we're still willing to talk. If you are willing to talk, you know. So we're we're here. Uh, come at me, bro, as David J likes to say. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, guys, uh, I think that's uh, it for skeptics and seekers this week. I'm David Russell, and there will be the superhero show coming on. I think that's Johnson's last one of the year. Um, I know it is for me. This is my last one of the year. Uh, I won't be in the rest of the superhero show, but there is a secret. I am in part of it. So, <laughs> um, it, just to let everybody know, I mean, it, it was a great Marvel, time. David. What's that? DC or Marvel? Uh, DC. Okay, good man. Okay. <laughs> I'm more more DC. I do have a passion for Marvel too. There are yeah. some characters that I really love. But I am – if I'm hanging anything on the wall, it's the Man of Steel, you know, so. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I really enjoyed this, guys. I think that you can always have conversation, and I'm always for conversation and debate. If I lose to uh, the majority of people that consent the other way, I live with it. There are some things I won't compromise on. That I think are absolutely fundamental that I don't think that, you know, just because there's a, a majority that says that it's OK to jump off a bridge, I'm not going to do it, you know, <laughs> but uh, there are things I won't compromise on. So at the end of the day, uh, the skeptics are going to have to decide and the Christians that watch the program. I hope we made some sort of uh, uh, I, I think we made it a, a pretty good case. Um, so I'm just going to have to let everybody else decide on that. So this is David Russell, and this is the Christian response. Thank you.